Hello, and welcome to episode 64 of the Medical Device Success Podcast and Videocast. I am Ted Newell, your host. The podcast just crossed 27,000 cumulative downloads. I really appreciate everyone's support. Don't hesitate to contact me with subject matter requests, suggestions, and or questions. After all, this podcast is for you. This is a special episode. Our guest today is Jeffrey Moore, author of Crossing the Chasm, the iconic marketing book. In fact, it is on Inc. Magazine's list of top 10 marketing books of all time. He has written several other books on marketing disruptive technologies, too. Jeff is highly regarded throughout the high-tech world. Today, Jeff will take us on a tour of the technology adoption lifecycle curve, and then we will dive into details of early market challenges, and then the ultimate challenge of crossing the chasm into the mainstream market. We talk about disruptive technologies, early adopters, key opinion leaders, signs you are approaching the chasm, the pragmatists on the other side of the chasm, pragmatists in pain, the bowling alley, the tornado, mistakes to avoid, and much, much more. By the way, in our discussion, the terms visionary and early adopter are interchangeable. So let me repeat that. The terms visionary and early adopter are interchangeable. And also the terms pragmatists and early majority are interchangeable. Everyone involved in leading a medtech company and or marketing and sales will learn a lot from this episode. You will hear me refer to several attendees to this event. Three countries are represented, the Netherlands, the Czech Republic, and the United States. These people are all members of the MedTech Leaders community. I always set up interviews as live virtual events so members can attend. If you want to learn more about the community, go to medtechleaders.net. Links to Jeff's LinkedIn profile, website, and books will be in the show notes. And if you like this podcast, please give it a rating on your podcast platform, recommend it to a friend, and or subscribe. By the way, it is easy to share a podcast. In the Apple Podcast app, there are three dots in the lower right-hand corner of the window of the podcast you are listening to. Click on the three dots and voila, you will see a share link. In Spotify, it's easier. When playing a podcast, there is a very clear symbol below the title of the podcast. Now it is time to meet up with Jeff and see if he can help us cross the chasm. Jeff, it's really great to have you on the Medical Device Success Podcast and Videocast. I'm really looking forward to what you're going to share today. Well, it's great to be here, Ted, and thanks for having me on the show. Well, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. So just tell us a little bit about yourself um, and what you do today. Sure. So my, my background is, I've, if for the last 40 years, I've been involved with the technology sector in, role, in sales and marketing roles and eventually got involved with 
market development strategy, and then more recently, organizational development to align with market development. So it's always been in an advisory capacity. I uh, uh, started a group called the Chasm Group. It was based on a book called Crossing the Chasm, which was about how do high-tech markets uh, evolve. We might talk a little bit about that more later today. And then that led to a, a series of books around the, the challenges that tech companies face as they're working with disruptive innovations and trying to get you know, next generation paradigms established in the marketplace. And then most recently, and, and that work in the, in the 90s was largely focused on startups. It was largely kind of a venture oriented world. This century increasingly established corporations have said, hey, this isn't just for startups, we have to do this, but we have challenges that startups don't have. Because you know we are public companies, we have a different set of expectations. So my more recent work, and particularly the last book called Zone to Win, was developed with Salesforce and Microsoft, both of whom have this incredible business models, but they also need to onboard disruptive innovations. Big challenges for them. Okay, and in doing this, I you have a consulting practice, and then. I think you're on the board of a company and um, also are you um, working with a venture firm? How does that all fit together? Okay, if I put it all together, so, so it says, oh, yeah, what am I really doing? Um, I'm on two boards. I'm on the board of, of two, uh, uh, one's public now and one is still private and they're both technology firm. One does artificial intelligence and robotic process automation. The other does laser, laser semiconductor laser uh, equipment. So I'm doing those board memberships. I am a venture partner at Wildcat Technology Partners, which is a venture firm. That's the crossing the chasm kind of consulting that I still do. I founded three consulting groups. I've pulled back from all three, but they're still in existence. So people who want to consult on those other ideas, those three firms are there to serve the industry. And me personally, I'm now advising a handful of CEOs and their teams. Um, These are typically people I've known for some time. and, and, And it's typically now around that zone to win book of how do you organize to compete in an age of disruption? Okay, awesome. So where this all started, at least for me and for people that are listening and are viewing, was with crossing the chasm. So what's the origin story of crossing the chasm? It's funny. So I was working, well, first of all, I was a product manager in two companies where I took products into the chasm that never came out. And so I so I had this sort of existential narrative about, was it me? Was What, what happened? I joined a company called Regis McKenna, which is the time was the premier marketing organization that was focused on high tech. I've got and a so book. Got, I've got his book right back here. Okay. Yeah. So Regis is fabulous. So with, and they had an incredible brand. So we got to work with all the very best tech companies. And so I began to be able to see, hey, look, this isn't this didn't just happen to you, Jeffrey. This happened over and over and over again. What is going on? And so I remember we were drawing up the technology adoption lifecycle, which, which was in Regis's book, and it was the key to understanding how tech markets evolved. And I was looking at it, I thought, you know, it's almost like the front of this thing is sort of detaching itself from the middle. And so I, I kind of redrew it, and, and that led to the drawing, crossing the chasm drawing, and you know, this is like a chasm. And then, hey, the people on this side really don't relate to the people on the other side, and you really have to change your playbook to cross this chasm. And that's where I came from. Okay. You know, I read your fir- the first edition. And when I read it, I realized that I had experienced the, the same thing like you had experienced. 
I'd been in a couple situations where it succeeded, where we succeeded in crossing the chasm. And I think it was a lot of it was luck, a little bit of common sense, but luck. And then I've seen a, a particular situation where the chasm was looming and it was going to fail. And for that company, I, I left, but for that company, it was in the end failure for them. So the let's just let's introduce the basics of the technology adoption lifecycle curve just for people that are attending and listening just so we create a foundation for the rest of our conversation okay. oh let me let me make sure you have um Can I permission share to share here hold on all panelists there you go okay so i'm going to share a screen here and i only have two slides here but i That's think okay. it will be i think it'll be helpful if we can um just do this. Okay, so this was the curve that, that I saw at Regis McKenna in the 80s. And basically, this says, when you introduce a disruptive innovation into any marketplace, it will you will uh, get a series of responses that are characterized by the persona personas that are listed on the right-hand side of the slide. So the first people that engage are the technology enthusiasts. They're the ones that really get the technology. They want to know how it works. Uh, they don't typically have a big budget. They're typically more technical in their in their role. But the visionaries are the ones who can get a big budget, and they're the ones who say, I want to be the disruptor. And so they go early because, and they want to go first, and they will work with you. And this is where you get all your early signals of success. And this is where if you're not, if you're care, not careful, you're gonna you're gonna take those early signals of success as mainstream success, which they aren't because. The third group, and you'll notice it's the only one that has like six people in the picture. The third group are, one, are the disruptees. <laughs> they don't like disruption. They don't want disruption. And so they're going to they're gonna adopt, but only after they see other people doing it first. And so that becomes a really key part of their world. The conservatives are going, oh, my God, not again, please. You know, for those people, newness is never a good thing. And so they try to postpone it. They will follow the pragmatist lead, but they'll want to do it later. And skeptics just don't believe in the entire process at all. So what happens, and this is the other slide that I think is worth looking at. This is where we split the, the curve and broke off the front half because you realize there are these four inflection points in the development of a market where your playbook changes dramatically because the customer's motives and, and capabilities have changed dramatically. So with the first, the first part of the life cycle where the you're a, you're the disruptor, there are other people that, that that align with you. They believe what you believe. They say, you know, this is the future and we should get on board sooner rather than later. And so what you want to do then, the, the playbook says, capture some big marquee accounts who will put you on the map. The, the press will write about them. You can use them as radiating references. You can show the world, hey, I don't know if you're going to do this, but did you just see what Tesla did? Or did you just see what you know Amazon did? Or did you just see what, whatever? The chasm is everybody else going, well, I am not a visionary and I do, I, I'm not a pioneer and that's not me. So then the question is, and in fact, I'm not going to do it until I see other people doing it. So then you think, well, how in the world do you get the dance started on the other side of the chasm? It turns out the people that will play with you next are people that we called pragmatists in pain. So they're normally, they would not, they would not uh, entertain a disruptive uh, technology, but they're in trouble. They have a use case they cannot solve with today's technologies. And as a result, their patients or their customers or whomever are suffering. And so they don't say, we believe what you believe, because they're not interested in the technology per se. They say, we need what you have. 
but you have to come up with the whole product. You have to come up with everything they need to be successful. So you can, if you do that, they will come immediately to you. They'll tell, they'll tell their friends who also have the same use case about you. And, and you can build a very valuable franchise at your size, uh, you know, focusing on these what we call urgent high value use cases. And we call them the bowling alley because once you get one of those, it kind of helps you knock over the next one and the next one and the next one. And, and for some companies, you might be what we call bowling alley forever. You never become a broad horizontal solution. You're just a very specific solution. But in other cases, people realize, you know, this is really infrastructure. This, this, this cloud computing, it's not just for Facebook or it's not just for, for, for you know, uh, TikTok or whatever. This is for everybody. And so you, the tornado is when the market goes, we actually want to ab adopt this next generation technology as a platform, as something that we're going we're gonna to build on top of. And they don't say we believe what you believe because it's, it's not about believing. And they don't even say we need what you have. What they say is we want what they have. In other words, this is this is now the, the boat. The boat is leaving the dock. You know, the train's leaving the station. We don't want we don't want to miss the train. And so the game there is, and they put money behind it. This it's happening with cloud computing right now. So so there's a huge huge amount of money coming into the market around the new technology. Whether it was Wi-Fi, whether it was Fitbits, whether it was you know iPhones, iPads, whatever you want it to be. And the idea during a tornado is build up your sales force, build up your go-to-market catch that wave because this is when you build your install base. This is when everybody chooses their vendor and becomes part of an install base. And if they don't choose you, they choose your competitor. Then going forward, they're in your competitor's install base and not in yours. So it's a very competitive time. That okay. just gets, and last one, that just gets you to Main Street. Yep. And, and, and Main Street is, okay, this is just, this is not the end of the market. This is the end of the technology adoption life cycle. We could have 20 years on Main Street. The automobile industry has had 180 years on Main Street, right? Now we're going to electric vehicles, but that's that's been 80 years of, of carbon engines. And they just say, we need what you have. We need what they have. They're saying, I just have to do it. And what they want for, for, from everybody is, can you, you know, can you give me better, 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 cheaper, cheaper? So anyway, those are the four things. And I'll, I'll stop sharing, but I wanted to put that on the table. But leave, it, leave this up for a second, because okay. for listeners, I just want to do a really quick description. We're looking at a bell curve. And if you go from left to right on the bell curve along the horizontal axis, the lowest part of the bell curve on the left, which is where you're entering the market, are the visionaries in the early market, that, the, that, those two little segments. And really, the curve is not only related to the size of the market, it's also going to be related to company revenues. So it has a lot of, it has a lot of meaning. Um, and the chasm occurs in between the, the lower part of the left side of the bell curve before you get to the, I guess you could call it the segment just to the left of the middle part of the bell curve, which is where the curve rises up steeply, uh, which indicates that you're gaining a lot of market share, you're gaining a lot of momentum. This is probably the most profitable time for a company with a disruptive technology. And that's where Jeff is describing it's in this area where you have the bowling alley and the tornado as you're entering in, as you cross the chasm, if you've done it successfully, and you've entered into this area of pragmatists or early majority, depending on what you want to call it. So I just wanted to describe that for listeners, but it's that chasm where if you don't do things right, 
If you don't understand your your technology and how it relates to the market, that's where companies die. Okay, awesome. What kind of products and services does it apply to? So we've been using the word disruptive. So let's just get that clear. Yeah. So it, 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 it's got to create. It's got to be a technology which causes the customer to hesitate or really to give a lot of pause because typically a disruptive innovation means you have to rip and replace or you have to obsolete a, a, an established paradigm and replace it. And, and the new paradigm is it's still new. The, the, the partners aren't quite up to speed yet. You know, it's the, partner, the products are not yet really proven, but it has amazing properties. So it's like, we got to try it. I mean, cloud computing would be a great example. When it first came out, could you put a credit card on the internet? You, d- you didn't know, right? Could you, could you put information in the cloud? You, you didn't know. And, and, and so th- those are the kind of things. Conversely, if you took something like Google, which is an amazing innovation, but it wasn't disruptive to the end user, you just, you just tried it. And so if there's no, if you can, in consumer markets, typically there are no chasms. Typically that's very rare to have a chasm in a consumer market. But in B2B markets or any or regulated markets, it's very common to have castings. Okay. And then let's really describe like a, a product that it would not apply to. And you could say, like, I guess automobiles, I mean, would an electric vehicle truly be disruptive or is it just a little flake off the curve that's because automobiles are already a standard? I would say that hybrid, that, that the Prius was not disruptive, which is the hybrid. I actually think all electric vehicles disruptive for the following reasons. First of all, you have to worry about range. We don't have the whole product for, for um, refueling, I guess is what you'd have to call it. Right. And even when we have it, you know, we don't know how long it's going to take. So that's number one. Two, the automotive industry has always relied on post-purchase servicing for the income for the dealers. Well, you know, there is the post-service servicing of an electric car is very different, nowhere near as lucrative. Thirdly, the automobile industry sold through dealers. Well, Tesla showed you can sell over the internet directly to consumers. So I think for all of those reasons, it's, it is disruptive. And, and if you're looking right now, Mercedes is going to switch to uh, EVs and General Motors is doing it. But, but they're, they're turning their back on 80 years of, of collective wisdom around carbon engines, and they're having to develop, they're trying to catch up now to, to Tesla. Right. Okay. All right. Well, that's, that's a, I'm glad we use that as an example. So Prius hybrids, not disruptive, electric disruptive. Um, and by the way, for attendees, if you have a question, you can just put it in the chat. Um, so we've got, uh, we also have somebody from Prague joined us. So we've got the Netherlands, we got the Czech Republic, and we got the United States. <laughs> um, okay. So let's see here. What was next on my, um, like I said earlier, I think we're probably most interested in the early market phase and how do we get set up to cross the chasm, which is really important because one of the things you made, mentioned yesterday when you and I were talking was that if you're in the early market, you're just a venture. And I never really thought about that. I, I should know better, but you're right. And it's only until you cross the chasm that you become a true going concern. Um, so this is what we're interested in. Tell us a little bit about technology enthusiasts and early adopters and how they relate to a disruptive product or service. Sure. And, and, and by the way, in the medical device world, we often would call these uh, visionaries 
key opinion leaders, KOLs. You hear, you hear, so the farmer industry always talks a lot about KOLs. Yes. Uh, and, and so the early adopter are people who, first of all, they, they're intellectually curious, they're open to the next generation. They typically want to have an impact and, and they're typically frustrated with the status quo. In other words, and so they're, 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 and there's plenty in the status quo to frustrate anybody if you want to get frustrated, right? Yeah. So, but these people are saying, most people go, well, yeah, it, it's the status quo, but that's just life, and you gotta, you gotta work within the system. These people are saying, no, you don't. You can break the system, <laughs> and so, and so, what they do, and, and the business model that works with them isn't really a product model; it's much more of a project model. So yes, there's a product at the beginning that's disruptive, and that's why you're you're doing it. You have this you know, new device, but it's like it's not yet FDA approved, or it's not yet. So how in the world can you even get started? So typically, you're in, in the medical world. I think it's often associated with academic medical institutions, university institutions. There's their research grants. You're you're trying to do stuff. You're trying to push the edge of the envelope, and so what they want from you is they want breakthrough capabilities, things that we've never seen before. And then they want you to help them productize it enough that they can actually find a, an application where they can use it in their profession and they can use it in, in, in their world. And, and initially, that often requires the vendor, the, the, the company, the startup, to do things that are not on their roadmap at all. But but this person, this is the, this is this person's idea. And you think, well, if, if I help this person implement this idea the world will know a lot more about me in the future than they do now. And that's kind of what you want from the early market. You want to get notoriety. You want to get visibility. Hey, there's something out there that's exciting. And they want that same notoriety and visibility themselves, correct? Totally. They, not to say that they're egotists, but they but, they're, but they certainly never met a microphone that they did not like. I mean, right. they, they're very, very good at, at speaking and publicizing it. We've all, we've all met people like that. In the, especially in the med tech uh, business, and and they're also willing to take a risk. I mean, so they're they're key opinion leaders, so they have a reputation, but it seems like they're willing to take a calculated risk with a new technology. Well, in fact, that's part of their reputation. So so let's face it; these people in general are smarter than the average bear because because they're they, and they and they more importantly they make high risk decisions based on their own analysis as opposed to most other people who want to make high-risk decisions based on advisors. So that, and that's the big difference between the early market and the mainstream market. The mainstream market does not like to do what visionaries like to do. Mm-hmm. They want to federate the risk and federate the understanding. Right. Okay. The, um, and what should we be trying to accomplish? So we've got a disruptive technology, disruptive med tech technology. What should we be trying to accomplish with these uh, visionaries, these early adopters? What you want, we call it this, well, I would call it a marquee project, meaning you want, what you want to do is, first of all, the world, you're too small for the world to care about you. So, so you can't say, well, I want to put out advertising or I want to write a white paper or I want to tell the world about what I have. The world's not, the world won't listen because you're just, you're just too small a voice. There's too much noise. But if you say the Mayo Clinic wants to put on a white paper or Kaiser Permanente or, you know, Sutter Health or something like that, whoa. Okay, so what, what you want to do with them is a project that is worth talking about and celebrating uh, a, a, a breakthrough capability. 
And so, and, 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 and by the way, you want to get paid, but, but the truth is you don't need to be paid a product price. It's much more, you need to be paid a project price, meaning you're going to put a bunch of people on this thing. You're going to do whatever it takes for them to be incredibly successful. You just would like to make sure that you, that you, you know, that they're paying at least the, 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 the consulting rates of those people so that you can, you, you can support them as much as they need. Right. Yeah. I frequently tell people just, you need a success model. And you need to be able to quantify that success model with the data. And sometimes that requires, as you said, a project, a quid pro quo. We'll work with you, lower price, maybe loaner, whatever it might be. But you're going to help us by giving us back data um, that helps validate, prove that it's a product that can be integrated, that will get the outcomes beyond just what the, you know, the clinical studies and stuff have shown. And and, and to be fair, that also is the model for crossing the chasm. The difference is now that now you're organizing around a use case instead of a person. Mm -hmm. So basically that pragmatist in pain has a, has a medical condition that you can't solve adequately with conventional solutions. And so they're, they're, they're looking and you come to them and you say, you know, we think with our technology, we could actually change the game with this particular uh, therapy, this particular pathology. And so, but, 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 but you're going to have to work with us to do it. And then that data, the data that they help you create is, is it becomes incredibly important for a getting FDA types approval, but just for you learning about what do I have to do to my product to make it more and more effective in this very specific context. And with the um, visionaries, is it required to have, I mean, the, you have a minimal viable product, but you aren't necessarily going to have the whole product at that time. Is that correct? Right. So the, so the way you do, that's correct. And, and that's the, di- by the way, that also is a difference between that and crossing the chasm. With the visionaries, you have a minimum viable product plus just essentially whatever engineering labor consulting uh, hours are required. So basically you're kind of like making up the whole product on the fly as a, as a kind of an ad hoc project in support to that one customer. When you cross the chasm, you have to show up by saying, no, we have we will orchestrate the entire whole product ourselves in service to you, Mr. or Ms. Physician. So, so, it's, so whoever, whatever else has to be a part of the solution besides us, we'll reach out to those partners. We will integrate with them. We will come to you with a complete a complete a team and will come to you with a complete solution. You don't, because you have enough problems just trying to deal with your patients. You don't need, you don't need to have to try to do our business too. That's the visionary is actually willing to say, well, no, no, I, I'll bring some of my people to the table as well. The pragmatist in pain does not have people they can bring to the table. So you got to do it with for them. Right. And Arnie uh, makes the comment that, uh, and, and this is true in medicine, you know, the key opinion leaders need to uh, need to stay ahead of everybody else. So it's in their interest to check out new tech. So they have this, you know, it helps them. Actually. Well, it is. And by the way, they have the kind of personality that, that they get bored with conventional things. Right. They're, they, I mean, they really are. They're intellectually curious and, it, it, and, and they're smart and they like to show off a little bit, but it's all good. It's all good. And you can learn some stuff from these people because they're a little bit, I sometimes call them a little bit like astronauts. They can go up and they can run into a problem and they'll figure out a way to work around it. They don't panic and blame you for it. You know, they'll work with you. They'll call, they'll call, you know, the, um, 
you know, whatever NASA central and they'll say, Hey, NASA, we've got a problem. Or Houston, we've got a problem. Right. But, but they'll work it through and they're smart enough and they're calm and collected. It's also dangerous because I was with a company where we had a bunch of people like that and they gave us the false sense of security that it was a relatively easy procedure. It was a, and it was a revolutionary procedure on the eye. And so what happened was, as we thought, oh, now we can go out and cross the chasm. But we weren't thinking in terms of a chasm. We were just thinking we could go to a broader product launch. And we found out that all the fighter pilots were not astronauts. Yeah. yeah and exactly. they had and they had a tough time. And we ran into a lot of problems. So that's another story for another day. Well, no, it's just a story for this day because that's the whole product problem. Yeah. In other words, the visionary was able to backfill the things you didn't have, but the average person was not able to backfill them. Right. And Merrick says, but overall, they don't like to take too much risks. And in a sense, you're right, Merrick, because it is, it's a calculated risk. So they're smart people. You know, so yeah. it's calculated. So this is something you and I talked about yesterday, which is really, I know it's frustrating. It was been really frustrating for um, uh, a company that I was working with recently in the area of the spine. And that is early adopters. How do you identify them? you know, make sure you're identifying the right ones, but then how do you stand out in the noise? And what you and I talked about yesterday was my, I was looking at uh, one of the Becker spine newsletters that comes out every day and they listed the 10 interesting new technologies to be watching out for. And I looked through all of them. They're all disruptive. They're just amazing. And I'm thinking, how does a company stand out and get the attention when doctors are so busy as it is, how do you get the attention and get one of these early adopters to work with you? Well, this is important. And, 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 and because in both the early market and crossing the chasm, the category has not yet emerged. So first of all, nobody has any budget for it. Secondly, nobody even knows what your company does for a living and, and they, they haven't heard of you. So both cases, any amount of noise makes it really challenging for you to, to connect with your targets. It, when you're crossing the chasm, you cut through the noise by talking about the problem because the, the people, you know, it's like in a large room, if you're at a party and somebody calls your name or says your name, you hear it because you're tuned to hear certain things. If I am a, a specialist that has a problem, I, I will hear, any, if there's any mention of that problem anywhere, I will, I will signal it out and it'll cut through the noise. So for crossing the chasm, it's all about the problem. For the visionary at the beginning, where it's not about the problem, it's about the breakthrough technology. As you said, there are 10 of these things. What you have to do there is they have to find you. So you have to tell a really compelling story about the, what Andy Grove at Intel used to call the 10x advantage. you got to change something, an order of magnitude, by, by, so that you think, well, wow. I mean, I don't know if this thing works, but if it did work, it'd be like amazing, right? So, 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 so you have to tell that story. And this is what conferences were so good about. The problem right now with COVID is this that very hard to connect with an early adopter because the way you used to do it is you'd go to a conference. Most of the speakers were actually KOLs. Yep. And you'd go up to the speaker afterwards and you say, that was a, first of all, you say, that was a fascinating speech. Whether it was or not, you don't care. That was a fascinating speech. Can I tell you about this other thing I'm working on? It might be of interest to you. And that's, but it's personal. The, 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 the early adopters connect with, with birds of a feather. And they're KOL, they're looking for people that are intellectually curious and bright and have this really breakthrough capability. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And then um, 
you know, you're thinking about the pragmatist and you need a pragmatist in pain, which I want to talk more about in a minute. Um, but the, yeah, getting the visionary early on, getting the, or the early adopter early on is, is a challenge. So I guess you really have to have a compelling connection with these people. Maybe it's with networking. Um, maybe you get one on board and then use that individual to find another two or three. Or you maybe you have to implement some kind of program that's really attractive to them so they get involved. Some I special- think, yeah, it would be a thought leadership program. And what you might try to do is, is hijack an existing group that does thought leadership sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in the absence of anything else, I'd start by going to research universities and 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 kind of asking in the in the department who who's interested in you know this particular kind of operation or or, or device or whatever. And then, but literally, I think in the early market, it's belly to belly, person to person, uh, white papers too too abstract, and 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 digital stuff. You know, now Zoom. The thing about Zoom that's actually helpful is you you and I can build a relationship over Zoom. Right. It's not it's not as good as as if it's in person, but it sure is a lot better than being on the phone, which is what it used to be if we weren't if we weren't in person. So right, you can do some of it over Zoom. Sure. Sure. So now we're starting to look at this chasm that we want to cross. Um, tell us a little bit more about the early majority of the pragmatists that are on the other side of this chasm. You know, you know, how are they different and what does that mean strategically and tactically for a company? Yeah. And it's interesting because you, you get to the chasm, by the way, the note, you get to the chasm when all of a sudden you realize I had this, this great enthusiasm, but now my sales cycles are taking longer and longer and longer. People are asking me for more references. They're asking for proof of concept. They're saying, you know, where's this? They're always finding some way to slow down the sales cycle. And you say, what happened? You, maybe our salespeople aren't any good, you know, whatever. We, you know, whatever. What's actually happened is most mainstream customers say have a very straightforward way of making high-risk buying decisions. Remember, disruptive innovation, high-risk buying decision. And that is, I will do it when I see other people like me doing it. And I want to talk to those people. I'll talk to the vendor, I'll listen to the vendor, but I will not let the vendor make my decision for me. I want to talk to people like me and I want to say, well, hey, Ted, have you tried this yet? Do you have a Tesla? Uh, how's that working for you? You know, not yet. Okay. And, and often it's like, you don't have it yet. Okay. Me neither. Okay. Right. And, then, and, and so it's that, it's that group think decision-making. And we, we sometimes are patronizing about it. We say, oh, well, you know, they just stick with the herd, but Darwinism has proven herds work. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so so it, it works. And, uh, but it's a very different decision process. And by the way, visionary people scare pragmatists. Because they think they're kind of out there and a little bit, you know, crazy. So they don't make good references. So even if you have a great reference as a visionary, that doesn't help cross the chasm. Because well, yeah, that was Steve Jobs. I mean, Steve Jobs was Steve. I'm not Steve Jobs. You know, I'm somebody. I'm an ordinary person over here. So I need to talk to other ordinary people. And that's where this use case thing helps. Because if you can get enough people on one use case, they start talking to each other, and now they go, oh, okay. For this use case, yeah, okay, good, good. I can buy it now. And I want to go back to your comment about, you know, you you may know that, and I, but I want to spend more time on it. But about how do you know when you're ready to cross the chasm? But you're talking about companies starting to detect the chasm because sales start to flatten, 
Um, like you said, the sales cycles get longer. And one of the problems that we have in med tech um, is, first of all, we're bad marketers. But on the sales side, a typical formula for med tech it, with a with a new disruptive technology is to hire a sales force that already knows all the doctors. And that was great prior to COVID. Well, it was great, but it's not so great because it still led to some failures. And the problem inherent in that model is that your sales force does not know the difference frequently between an early adopter and a pragmatist. Because even in pragmatists, there are people that are somewhat like KOLs. They're very well respected in their area. People look up to them, refer to them, and so on. And so the sales rep goes into practice knocks on the door. Dr. Smith says, hey, it's great to see you. Dr. Smith's a pragmatist, but says, Jim, it's great to see you. What a cool technology you have. Tell me all about it. And, you know, Jim thinks that, oh, I've got a, I've got a hot lead right here. This is the perfect kind of doctor for me. And Dr. Smith listens to the whole story and says, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll think about it. I'll keep it in mind. But in the back of his head, he's thinking, not for another six months or a year. Yes. You no. Know, exactly. Or until I hear this from the guy down the street, or I, like you said, a little bit more group think. The reps don't know that. They think, and they go back and they put in their CRM. I met Dr. Smith today. He was really excited about it. And they'll keep going back. Now they're wasting time because they aren't developing the early market anymore where they could still get some revenues and get some learning. Um, and they probably don't have the tool or tools to really go into the pragmatist area. They don't have the support. Well, here's what happens. What, what happens is because we got some early positive signals in the early market, we staffed up the sales force. We yes, hired, yes, exactly. And we, we hired people who are good at selling in tornadoes. Now remember in a tornado, the budget is there. Now people are, now the question is just, are they gonna buy it from you or from somebody else? Most great salespeople are tornado salespeople or Main Street salespeople. The crossing the chasm, and a few of them are gifted at doing the early market. They're the ones who just, they can create this sort of reality distortion field. They have this vision of the possibility. The, the, the salesperson you want when you're crossing the chasm is the domain expert in the single use case. That's normally actually not a salesly oriented person. It's, it's, it's somebody who says, I, I, I care enough about this customer's problem I'm going to become completely expert in it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to focus all of my attention on just calling on doctors who have this one specific issue. And by the way, your marketing is directed toward the same issue. And you, so you don't want to hire a big sales force. You want to hire an incredibly focused sales force. Not very many people, but you want to call on just this one class of pediatrician or orthopedic surgeon or whoever the heck it is, and and nail this one use case. Well, that's not a sales profile. People who are great salespeople sell to everybody, right? Yeah. So, and, and, and so it's really important that you not become sales-led when you're crossing the chasm. Once you get to the tornado, you do want to be sales-led, but not before. Okay. And um, I'm just looking at a comment from Merrick. He says, imagine that there is an overenthusiastic founder that is for sure a total all-in believer in his product and idea. How many KOLs to meet in order to 
be sure the project is dead or will come to life. Oh. <laughs> well, to be, this is this is, look. A great entrepreneur has this incredible belief in their product, yes. and they think everybody's going to use it immediately, right? Right. So, so, but the truth is, from an investor point of view, and I do spend a lot of time with venture investors. Once you have one or two marquee customers. That's, that really is enough to put you on the map. Now you really do have to start worrying about crossing the chasm. And the founder is going to hate. I, mean, I remember Steve talking with Steve Jobs. When the Macintosh came out, it was the computer for everybody else, right? But it turned out desktop publishing was the application that corporations needed desperately. And Steve was furious because he said, I did not invent a computer for corporate art departments. I invented a computer for mankind. <laughs> <laughs> and he was furious because he thought this is way, way over-rotated. But that's how they crossed the chasm. And then once they crossed the chasm, then the marketing guys and the sales guys, and now, of course, 20 years later, the engineers, I mean, it's a, it's a different world. But, but uh, it's very hard for the founder to accept crossing the chasm. Right. And I think uh, one way to do that, to, to Merrick's point, is you have to do uh, maybe some extensive voice of the customer work as you're getting ready to cross the chasm and to understand, try to really understand the pain points of the pragmatist. Because if you go out and get a lot of voice of the customer, I talked to a, a, one of my members of the community, they did 600 ER docs between idea of the product to commercial. They talked to 600 people with voice of the customer questionnaires over a period of time. And it changed, you know, the, the sure. questions change as you learn. But they wanted to make sure that they were not in the ivory tower. Yeah. Um, I thought that was a little overboard. Probably got a, the same thing done with 300, but still, that's a good exercise. It is. very. Uh, the point being, prior to the tornado, you have to be customer-centric. You have to be very, very wired into what is the reality of this thing. Once you're in the tornado, what happens is people are going, well, look, we have to have this infrastructure no matter what. And so if there's something that needs extra, we have to take responsibility for it. And then you could be much more competitor centric. So tornado, the tornado companies, at least in, in, in the computer industry, were very competitive companies. Microsoft, Intel, Oracle, super competitive companies. But 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 that's later. That, that's after the budget is 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 is, is flowing. Prior to that, you've got to be much more customer specific. So when it comes to um getting across the chasm and we talk about the pragmatist in pain, the person that's on the other side of that chasm that you, that first of all, you really need to know that there is such a profile of a person. So you can go search for them and you can present a, a solution to their problem. One of the points you made in your book and also that you and I were talking about yesterday is that in the early market, which is visionaries and our technologists and visionaries, it's all about the product, but then when you get across the chasm, it is now all about the the problem, yeah. you know. And so, and which means a lot in terms of marketing changes. I don't know if you want to comment a little bit more about it's that. It's really important because because when you're crossing the chasm, it's so hard because nobody knows who you are, and 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 by the way, you're bringing a high risk proposition to the table when nobody knows you. Right. I mean, this is so. How in the world can you can you start building a relationship of trust? Well, you you build the communication around the problem. So you start with saying, "Look, we've spent a lot of time with people in your profession, or, or you know, who are dealing with this class of patient, or whatever it is, and and we know 
that we're seeing over and over again the, the, these failure rates or these failure modalities, and 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 the whole industry is struggling with them. And 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 by the way, we assume you are too. And then your your prospect gets to say, "You bet!" And they you know they they get to kind of tell you this, and you say, "So so and, and we we've you've tried conventional solutions, we believe, and they're not really working well." Oh, isn't that the truth? Yes, I mean, I, I this is what I have to do, but it does blah blah blah. And so what you're doing then is you're building a rapport with effectively a stranger, right? But but you're coming together around the problem. Once we agree on the problem and the severity of the problem and the need for a new approach, then and only then can you say, well, let me tell you about the work we've been doing because we think we may have cracked this nut. And we and, and, and now, now I want to show you what we're doing. And now I really do want to listen to the voice of the customer because they may say, wow, or they may say, well, yeah, but what about this or what about that? And that, that's when you would do it. Okay. That's a perfect explanation. I really, really love that. But now you've got this person that is listening to you because they've agreed with you. You've defined a problem. Let's talk really quickly about the, um, uh, and I need to go back to something else, but no, let's talk about the whole product, creating competition and positioning, because those were all really important issues around crossing the chasm. Right. So once you've got the target customer and the compelling reason to buy, which is really the problem, the use case, problematic use case, it's like, okay, what are you going to do about it? So we, we talk about the next two factors we talk about are the whole product and partners and allies. The whole product is, look, this person who's in pain, they can't, you can't give them just part of the solution. You can't just say, we have this breakthrough capability but there's a lot of other stuff that you have to you have to figure out on your own because they, they 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 don't have the bandwidth they don't have the resources, so the whole product is you as the vendor will take responsibility for this one use case for bringing the entire solution to the table. Now that usually involves companies besides your own company. You you so that that's where the partners and allies come in. You don't want partners and allies to help you sell. You're doing all the selling. You want partners and allies to help you fulfill to make sure that this customer actually solves the problem. And that customer, if they solve the problem, they'll tell their friends. They'll say, you know what? There's a new solution to this thing. I tried it with these people and it worked. And, and, and that's, so, you, so inside that community who has that use case, you can grow incredibly rapidly, like, like three times your size in a year. I mean, it's, it, it, uh, they call it a double, triple, followed by a triple, double. So you grow 3x two years in a row and then 2x three years in a row. You can do all of that inside that community because that community has been so under so much pressure to, to re- get relief from this problem statement. And you, you are the, 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 the solution. But if you go in with only 90% of the whole product and they try it, but oh man, they got close, but it just didn't quite work. They also tell their friends. Yeah. Now you have the opposite problem, which is now that entire segment said, well, nice guys, really hearts in the right place, not not quite there. And now now you've got you now you've created a real back back problem. Yeah. No, that that's uh that's uh, really well really well explained. I love it. And then um let's talk about well, one thing I want to make a point of here is that Arnie from Netherlands has said one of the most helpful events when we were in early market phase was the arrival of the first competitive. People had to choose, and we were not the only wolf howling at the moon. 
Oh no! This no. This is such important. If you are if you are the only vendor in the category, that scares the heck out of a pragmatist. Mm-hmm. Now, a visionary is going, yeah, you're brilliant. I'm brilliant. We're first, right? Mm-hmm. But a pragmatist is going, well, there's only one vendor in the entire category. It can't yet be ready for prime time. So Arnie is 100%, which is an important point. Competitors help you cross the chasm. In the tornado, they're the enemy. In the tornado, they're going to take away the future of the market from you. But prior to the tornado, they're actually an ally for the reasons Arnie said. Right. And typically, if there's a competitor, that's usually a sign that people are allocating budget. So you have money, you have something to compete for. Exactly. Right. Exactly. exactly. So um, so let's talk about picking the target market beachhead. And you and I talked about that. And we talked about the concept of density the other day. And the reason that's uh, so important is that a lot of people in ophthalmology, this is a really good one. Somebody will say, well, how large, you know, let's say you have a product for optometrists. They'll say, well, how large is the market? Oh, there's 40,000 optometrists. Well, there's not 40,000 optometrists that are interested in that technology because it's very segmented. There might be 4,000 or 5,000 or even less. So um, uh, depending on what your, you know, what your technology is. And the same thing in ophthalmology, there's 17,000 ophthalmologists or 18,000 in the United States, but you have all these subspecialties. So, you know, how do you pick the target? What what goes into tar- picking a target market beachhead? And right. why is that important? Right. And I've been using the phrase use case, which is probably more of a computer industry phrase than a medical industry phrase. Maybe the medical industry phrase is pathology or something. But the point is market subsegment, ophthalmologists and optometrists subsegment around pathologies or conditions. I've, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, I walk by, I go to a periodontist, I walk by an endodontist. Yeah. And by the way, neither of them are dentists, right? So, 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 but here's the point. Endodontists talk to other endodontists about stuff, but they don't talk to dentists, right? So periodontists, it's the same thing. So what you the key to pragmatist decision-making is word of mouth endorsements. So the key to word of mouth is people like me who talk to me, they're in my, they're in my word of mouth community, which means they're, they're in my segment, they have my use cases, and, and that's who I'm going to ask, have you tried this yet? What do you think of this new thing? So density is all about getting, getting enough of, of, of people in the same segment to, to have a successful experience with your product that it creates the impression of, oh, wow. This, this thing, I, I asked Harry, Harry had heard about it, Sherry had not, but Larry had, and, and, and Barry City is looking at it. So it's like, whoa, okay, this must be, this must be ready. If at the same time, the same company had gotten reference, one ophthalmologist, one optometrist, one endodontist, and one periodontist, <laughs> it's like four sales, but no word of mouth. And so that that's that, that. So it's really important when you're crossing the chasm. You, it, I use it. I, I liken it to winning the New Hampshire primary. So there are not many delegates in New Hampshire. But if you're running for the president, it's a big deal to win the New Hampshire primary. The key to winning the New Hampshire primary is to remember one thing: votes in Vermont do not count. And 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 it's the same thing with winning with winning word of mouth. You've got to win word of mouth in the target segment. So you pick a segment that has a very compelling reason to buy. And uh, talk to each other. So you got they, those are the two criteria for picking the beachhead. Okay, very very good. And then, um, what implications does activity and success along the technology adoption lifecycle curve 
you know, have to do with funding? How does it affect funding for, let's say, the startup? It's really important. So in the early market, your funding is based largely on investors who believe what you believe, right? They think it's a cool idea. And it's largely about the technology story and then the proof of concept of the technology and maybe getting that minimum viable product in the hands of some customers. And then if you your first next milestone is if you can win a marquee customer, that'll help you get that second round of funding because, whoa, you, you, you've obviously got a, 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 you know, a real great success story here. For crossing the chasm, by the way, venture investors don't like chasms either. And so that's the hard round to raise. But, when if, but if you cross the chasm successfully and you now have established yourself as the market choice for even just one use case in one sub-segment of one market, the, the investor goes, well, those customers will never let you go out of business. And so you now are what accountants call a going concern. You, I can, and therefore you've taken existence risk off the table, which is an amazing thing. Because prior to crossing the chasm, you are just you are you are always living hand to mouth to the next funding. Once you've crossed the chasm, you're self-funded. You may not grow, you may not become a, a world-beating, you know, huge company, but now you're you're going to be there for for the long term because your customers won't let you go away. And I think one of the points that um, so uh, to sort of reinforce the target market on the subject of funding. But one of the points you made in, in your book was if you pick a target market where maybe one of the gorillas isn't really keeping an eye on that much, so you can get a beachhead, you can get a foothold, you can satisfy a particular customer and make real progress that can lead you into parallel markets with similar types of customers. But in that initial phase, the big company that might be your competitor or will be as you get closer to the tornado um, is they're not reacting to you yet. They're not trying right. to crush you. So you're getting a foothold. Right. Well, in fact, that big company may be your acquirer as well as your competitor. Because True. here's the thing, big companies cannot focus on small markets. They can't. Their, their, their economics don't work. Their organizational processes don't work. Their compensation systems don't work. So, so the, the thing about crossing the chasm then is you, when you pick one of these really challenging use cases, it's at the margin of the current, the, the incumbent technologies capabilities. They have an offer that, for that segment, but it's not a very good offer, but it's not in their economic interest to go the extra mile because it, it's so, it's, it's too small a tan, too small a, you know, a total available market for their business model. It's not too small for you. For you, it's big. Right. If you're if you're five million dollars, a fifty million dollars segment, whoopee. Yeah. If you're Baxter, it's like, I'm sorry, a fifty million dollars is a rounding error in my budget. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, the, exactly. so the, you can do it. You can do it. And I think that's just important for uh, people to consider is to look for that that particular beachhead and to really focus your resources and satisfy the you know, find the pragmatist and pain in there, satisfy them and make sure you understand how to turn those people into echo chambers so that they, you know, get the word of mouth out. Um, so we're coming up not too far from the hour. I don't know if um, our attendees have any more questions. I was going to ask you, is there anything that we've missed? You know, I think we're getting this. It's the, the thing that I think is important to realize is it's not, is that the entire team has to understand the playbook is going to change 
from the early market to crossing the chasm. It's going to change again from what we call the bowling alley to the tornado. And by the way, it's going to change again from the tornado to Main Street. And so when you hire people from the industry, people have had a success in a prior company that's part of their resume, it's part of the reason you hire them. You need to be thoughtful about which of those playbooks was their success book. Mm-hmm. And, and you want to make sure you bring in leadership. And often in the venture world, you actually change leadership as a company grows through these phases, because a person who's good at the beginning of the life cycle may not be good and typically is not good at, 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 at later on in the life cycle. And so being able to, to and it's not just, by the way, the CEO or the leader, the entire team has to be led to refocus. And, and, and so the engineer who during the early market was the rock star, now you're having to say, you, you know, you're, you're, you're the guy that invented the Macintosh, and now you're saying, I have to do desktop publishing with fonts? What's a font? So the domain expert becomes the real scarce talent when you're crossing the chasm. And then the, the, the uh, you know, gung-ho salesperson for the tornado. And then what we're learning in, in, in this new software as a service world is on Main Street, it's the customer success manager who's now the key to Main Street to reducing churn and keeping people together. So that I think that's the thing that I would just want people to respect is, look, uh, you're not going to be good at every phase of this thing. You're going to need to trans- hand the baton to the right leader at the right time. Just understand that's the market, the way the market is works for disruptive innovations. And that's just part of the that's just part of the game you're playing. Don't take it personally and, and help your company get to the next place. Uh, that's a really good point. And the point you made about the like a sales team that might be excellent in the tornado, um, and the company gets, let's say the company gets acquired and they can go tell the next prospective employer, yeah, I help, you know, I contributed to this company's uh, ability to get acquired and I got my options and stuff like that. But now they get hired by a company that is trying to work its way through the early market and they aren't the right people. They have a great background. They've been very successful. They probably made a ton of money, but um, they they say, where's my market? Where are my leads? Right. You have to develop your leads. Well, wait, wait, well, wait, wait, where's my uh, systems engineer? Well, actually, we only have one systems engineer right now. I mean, it's, it's all, they don't have any of the support that they expect. And right. so, for, 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 yeah, so it's very important to make sure you hire, I guess my grandmother would have said horses for courses. Okay. <laughs> and anything that you recommend in terms of like reading, of course, the books and in the show notes, I'm going to have links to your books, you know, I've not read any of the other books other than uh, the two editions of Crossing the Chasm, the first and the third. Is there a particular one of your other books that you recommend, or any other books that I by would, other well, authors? Well, um, I mean, it's a whole. I mean, guys, there's so many good books about about how to build companies these days. The only thing I would say about I think for the, this conversation, the third edition of Crossing the Chasm, I wrote a four-page appendix that summarized Inside the Tornado. Right. Because that, the, which I think is, it, it, it speaks to the issue of once you cross the chasm, where does it go from there? I think I think that's important. And then if there were, if there, if you're inside a large company and you're trying to do crossing the chasm inside a large corporation, this new book, Zone to Win, is designed to deal with the organizational challenges around. Because this, I just said, big companies can't focus on small markets. 
but you have to focus on a small market. So zone to win is designed to say, you have to create an incubation zone that plays by startup rules. And how do you do that inside a large corporation? That's what the book's about. What are you doing next? <laughs> well, I'm advising a lot of folks. My, 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 the book that came out last month is actually, it's a, I'm stepping back from almost from like strategies for companies to strategies for living. So it's called the, the Infinite Staircase. And it's about you know, how, what the universe tells us about life, ethics, and mortality. So it's a, it's a big, big, big picture, but I, I think the book's important and I, I care about it. And so, but it's a new, talk about me having to cross my head. I have no credibility in the philosophy market. I have to start from scratch. (laughs) (laughs) I got to find early adopters. Yes, you do. (laughs) And somebody in pain, philosophical pain. (laughs) Exactly. There you go. There you go. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for this today. We covered a ton of ground and some of the examples you gave were spot on. I think listeners and uh, the attendees and future viewers are going to learn a lot from from today's program. It'll give people a lot to think about. Well, Ted, thank you for having me. You were a great interviewer. It's really fun to talk with you. And for uh, the attendees, I'm going to sign off, but thanks for attending. I hope you got something out of it and look forward to seeing you in the community. Have a great day. Bye. What can you do with all that information? As an individual, look at your personal brand. Where are you trying to go? And do you have an adoption curve to go through? If you are involved in leading a company with a new technology, you have to decide if it's disruptive. If it is, then think about what your results are telling you and where you are on the technology adoption lifecycle curve, or where you may be struggling. If you are involved in marketing and selling disruptive technologies, again, think about where you are succeeding and struggling. Remember, Jeff said, it is really important that you are not sales-led when you are crossing the chasm. If you are in an established company with mature products, that has just introduced a disruptive technology, keep in mind the strategies and tactics you apply to the mature products don't apply to the disruptive technology. Lots to think about. Thanks again for spending time with me today. Share this podcast with a friend. They will thank you. Now, go win your week.